0: everybody, it's Christine. Welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Today we are talking about a bigger content. Hey everybody, it's Christine. Welcome back to the Rosewoman Pod. Today we're having a conversation around an intimacy that is rarely discussed, and that is our intimacy with Earth. We are so deeply connected to everything that happens on our planet. We can't really live without that being in harmony. You know, I talk a lot about Eden and the idea that everything was given to us, sun and water and rain, and everything that our bodies work in perfect harmony with. You know, that integration and reverence for life, what I like to call vitocracy, the rule of life, is a, is a major step in our development, both individually and as a collective. But we are nested in this technology modern society that does things like manufacture guns and bombs and turn its back on this Eden and it's very hard midstream to shift the way these structures are run so as I run my business and my family I'm left wondering what do I do to advance things at the edges Our guest today, Michael, uh, says, you know, as an individual citizen, we have two major levers, how we vote and how we shop. And if you are listening as a citizen, please take that into account uh, during the conversation today. And if you're listening as a fellow entrepreneur or someone who controls how resources are spent, please listen with the idea of how to be a citizen business, uh, where your margins might be able to absorb and pass on uh, resources to people who are making more conscious choices for the environment. Anyway, I'm gonna read a couple of things from the great eco-theologian, Thomas Berry, uh, to get us started. These are just some quotes from his book, The Dream of the Earth. Our relationship with the Earth involves something more than pragmatic use, academic understanding, or aesthetic appreciation. A truly human intimacy with the earth and with the entire natural world is needed. Our children should be properly introduced to this world. And our challenge is to create a new sense of what it is to be human, to transcend not only national limitations, but even our species isolation, and to enter into the larger community of living species. The next transition from the dominant scientific technological period to the ecological period is turbulent. And this turbulence establishes the context of our present discussions. Thomas Perry, if you don't know his work, is also really worth diving into. He has uh, one that's basically considered the, the guidebook for people who are looking at these questions called The Great Work. I also recommend Deep Adaptation, Positive Deep Adaptation by Jem Bendel, if you're a person who's looking to move the needle. All right, let me, without further ado, introduce our guest today, Michael Glopter. He is one of the country's leading sustainability and climate strategists, having worked for more than 25 years in business policy research and advocacy on energy, environmental, and a wide variety of social policies. He's currently the founder and chairman of the board for Cooler, a for-profit social venture who offsets consumer purchases with solutions for carbon neutralization. And we at Rosebud are working with them to neutralize our carbon emissions for all of our making and our transit uh, impacts. Um, Prior to Cooler, Michael was the president of Redefining Progress, a think tank that designed the world's most aggressive climate legislation. Yes, of course, that was California in August of 2006. And he founded and directed the Environmental Policy Program at Columbia, worked as a Congressional Black Caucus Fellow, worked for the U.S. House of Representatives, Energy and Commerce Committee, was the director of environmental quality for the city of New York, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's also an author. He wrote a wonderful book on how you do green green, um, and environmental startups. I'll put that link in the show notes. Without further ado, please welcome my eloquent friend, Michael Galopter, to the Rosebud Woman podcast. Michael and I are talking from uh, Venice in Southern California and the East Bay in Northern California, respectively, in the middle of fire season. So we are seeing the direct results of climate change right here in our own lives on the daily. You know, I feel like we should all be going back in time and bowing down at Al Gore's boots and saying, yes, sir, we'll do whatever you want. He... Told us what was going to happen, and if it is not rolling out exactly as the prognosticators said. So I kind of want to start there. Yeah. Just uh, a little bit of grief for what we've done and how incompetent our response has been.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a. It's um, you know, I couldn't really. This morning, I was I was lying in bed, um, and I couldn't. I just. I just could see through the blinds that there was just something just dark and red outside and I i didn't want to get up. Like I just couldn't believe it could be this sort of really apocalyptic. Um and that's what it feels like up here. It's just stunning that it's, you know, nine o'clock in the morning and uh and the sky is blood red uh and you can't see it. You all you can see is blood red clouds.
0: Yeah. Crazy.
1: and you can tell the clouds are kind of formed from the particulate matter from the fires that they're they've the the, the water vapors coalesced because of the amount of particulate in the air uh, it's not just the normal bay area fog at all and that's been going on for a while about two weeks now kind of intense
0: yeah all the way to the rockies you can see the smoke and I mean, between that and I was on the East Coast a, um, a couple of weeks ago, and you see the sandstorm clouding the air coming in from mm. the Arab world. Like it was, yeah. it was also like an apocalyptic scene. What is it about our psychology as individuals or collectively that stops us from making the connection between how we live or how we run our economies and this relationship to the natural world, which is just like trying to correct itself all the time. Like it's seeking stasis. I'll send moisture here. I'll send fire there. I'll send heat there, you know, just trying to like frantically balance out the ecosystems. What do you think from your experience, decades of experience working in conservation and for the ecologies that we live in, what do you think it is?
1: You know, look, I, You know, look, I I found I mean, one of the things that I feel like I I came to a realization a, a long time ago was that environmentalism was this super interesting way that science was undermining science, right? We live in a world where we think we can tell, we can predict everything, control everything, you know, where we've engineered ourselves into this position of dominance over the world. And what environmental science tells you is you really don't know anything. You know, there's only two chemicals that we're sure cause cancer. Um, For years, obviously, we pretended that we didn't know exactly what would happen with global warming. But you know that directionally you're doing something wrong. So there's a way in which environmental science is this science that tells you something about the planet um, and you can't quite put your finger on it and you have to just start doing the right thing because you're not getting precise, you know, causative uh, information. A hurricane is too complicated to be sure five years ahead of time that it's going to happen, obviously. You know, the chemistry of toxics uh, are horrific things, and we know that they mimic natural things in ways that end up causing cancer and damaging us and interfering with our endocrine systems and other things like that. So in some sense, environmental science was this amazing arena that I stumbled into as a student and then eventually as a professional that was both very technical and very scientific, but actually didn't tell us anything for sure. And it was a reminder um, of how complicated and how connected we all were. Um, and, and I think it's hard for people to hear that message. It, but the beauty of environmentalism is that it, it, it brings it in a framework that we sort of understand science, and then we have to understand there are limits. So what we know, we have to just act right in ways that, in fact, environmental science points us towards, but doesn't give us a clear, perfect roadmap.
0: So this, um, you're basically saying that this directional correctness, which is a little bit of an oxymoron to scientific causation, you know, that this directional correctness should have been enough, but because there was enough wiggle room, people were like, well, there's no proof, and therefore they didn't we collectively couldn't act in time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, then, you know, and these are these are, um, you know, the cultures that we've had cultures on the earth that understood these signals, indigenous cultures in on every continent that understood and acted on these signals and, you know, science is one of the things that had us pull ourselves away from that um, and uh, and we clearly have to go back to it. It's not beyond human ken to, you know, read, these leaves, to read these tea leaves, although there are lots of historical examples of people who, who didn't over the century, over the millennia. Um, but we also have to be less, in some sense, paradoxically, we have to be less certain to do the right thing. We have to be less sure that we know everything, that we can build seawalls high enough, that we can desalinate the ocean When it gets too hot, we have to be less cocky about that stuff and listen to the broader knowledge that the planet is giving us and, frankly, obviously some of the science is giving us.
0: Something that happened this year in the initial part of the slowdown uh, when many of our distractions went away is I think a lot of people were confronted with who they were Mm. without the capitalist or commercial economy constantly propping them up. Mm-hmm. you know, and that there's a period in between the way it was and the way it will be or the what it's evolving to that is very uncomfortable. There's a lot of intense emotions with it. Mm-hmm. And that it's that there's there's also something that's not just about like reading the signs externally, but mm-hmm. this unwillingness to be uncomfortable in one's own body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sitting still is hard. You know, it's, it's, um it's hard work for a lot of people to just be with, um, you know, something that is evolving, this pandemic, again, another thing that is far out of our control, um, that's rolling, that rolls across the landscape. And I think, uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's been amazing, and I think. And honestly, you know, we started, we started Cooler, right, as, right as the pandemic started. And I was like, oh, crap, you know, this is not this, is here we go, it's going to be a tough economic situation. And what we're finding instead, just like with Black Lives Matter and the movements for civil rights that have spread across the world, um, that this silence calls people to respond to some of the deeper signals that are running out there. And we found the uptake on companies and individuals who want to take action on climate uh, amazing. Um, And I I think there's a good side and a bad side. It makes people really uncomfortable, but When people are able to be still and listen there, they take very interesting and deep action.
0: Yeah, I think in this time we moved in that direction also. So, you know, in the introduction, I said I told everybody about Cooler and what it's about. And this time in um, as a business responding to everywhere that we can while still being in business on our other mission to being a good actor in the world and you know i was thinking about the terms we use like conscious capitalism corporate social responsibility all b corp i hate all of those terms Mm. and the reason is they imply that you can be different than that that you can be other than that yeah and that to start thinking that um you're a citizen business your yeah. business and as a business you're an entity and you're an entity that's grounded in a place and nested in a culture and an environment and you're a citizen. Yeah. And as a citizen, you have certain obligations to rest in the commons and to start acting like it. So from our work, you know, we started to do a little bit of an inventory on what how would a good citizen behave? And we looked at some non-traditional things for business like economic inclusivity, making sure that everyone was being paid right. They all had equity in the company. We looked at things like visual inclusivity, like how we're representing customers in our imagery, who we're hiring by age and race and diversity of all kinds. We looked at um, what I would call uh, like clean making. That yeah. everything that goes into our products from end to end is sourced sustainably. And then we got into the recycled components, making sure that's sustainable cradle to cradle. But the piece that kept eluding us was we were still making stuff and still shipping it across the United States. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, you and I have known each other a while yeah. and that's where the conversation really got into, well, what could we do to neutralize even that, like our staking yeah. carbon emissions? Before we go any more into that, I, I just want to say that once I did all of the calculations yeah. on what all of those initiatives cost me as a company, how yeah. much they increased my cost, it came out to about 15%. Yeah. And so, if I look at that like as a small business, that just means I take home less at the end of the day as an owner, yeah. and that's not a big deal for me. Like I have yeah. enough. And yeah. if you were to write that fifteen percent large across the economy, you know, where large corporations did that, it, it would be it would be almost no impact to the billionaire class or even to the stockholding and shareholding class. And I yeah. just feel like it would be if, if we started thinking that way, it's just it's not that significant and it returns that good to the commons. So I wanted to give that context. We're going to talk later in this episode, another segment with some other green makers who are thinking about, you know, how they make in, in different and the decisions they're making, and where it's difficult. So um, I, I really love that we get it. We're getting a chance to talk about the carbon neutralization piece, and I think we need to take a step back now and have you educate us on what is emission, what is carbon emissions, and 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 the science behind that before we go into the solutions
1: you're proposing. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just make a point about that fifteen percent, Christine it's not like you're taking that 15% and burning it, right? It is going into some, some other businesses, right? It is expenses. It is reducing your potential margins, but it is growing the economy. Um, and that I think is something really important to think about when people think about climate change and solutions generally. Uh, we're not gonna stop spending money, right? But if we, if we spend our money on art or on, or on digital streaming audio or, or video or other things that are less, um, environmentally damaging than you know, flying to the Arctic for a view, um, the economy is still humming. The money's not gone anywhere. It's just gone into different pockets. And so you know, it, 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 do, it can make it harder or, or narrow margins for some businesses. But once the economy makes the adjustment, the overall number of jobs and, and, and money flowing will remain the same. So it's not, it's not um, yeah. a, an aggregate loss. By very glad
0: you brought up that point i would because where does that 15 percent go it goes to my make my my manufacturing partners right. and it goes for them to buy organic materials which goes to organic farmers yeah. who are getting a lower yield yeah and so they get they get a higher price per pound It yeah. goes to my people and my team who can then afford to live a normal life in a yeah. major city in america yeah you know, so that that's the kind of i like that dialogue um yeah a lot yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm trying to come up with my own little citizen business scorecard there. Yeah. Um, OK, but go so ahead. let's Tell talk us about, now about about carbon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I, I, um, I I've been I've been working on climate change a long time. I don't I think of carbon as a word that's alien to most people, although it's what we're made of. Right. It's our, our core, our core cellular structure is based on carbon. But basically, greenhouse gases, climate change is happening and it is being caused by the fact that we're putting too much CO2 and other carbon-based aerosol um, gases up into the atmosphere. Uh, and it basically acts like a greenhouse gas, like, a, like the panes of glass in a greenhouse. It's not at all a tricky question at all. Um, the ozone layer, I was blessed to have worked with the guy who discovered the ozone hole and the problems with it. And, and he was terrified because he said, you know, look, I was working on chlorine, chlorinated uh, uh, chemicals. But if I'd been working on brominated chemicals, I would never have found out about the ozone hole. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's just like that, you know, the ozone hole was a fairly complicated chemical story that we actually solved by banning a set of really dangerous chemicals. Um, Greenhouse gases is much more basic. It really just has to do with respiration. Uh, Obviously it's taken up in the form of trees and carbon in in plants and grasses. Uh, And we sequestered a ton of that over the last 300 million years. Um, that's where all the fossil fuels come from. It comes from all the plants and all the living beings breathing, growing, being, uh, and then burying them, being buried by various geological processes. And all the fossil fuels um, in the whole world that have ever existed, that ever can be used, actually, believe it or not, amount to five days of sunlight, five days of sunlight driven growth. The rest of it is too scattered to collect. And in all of human existence, we've only used one day of that growth. We've taken it, burned it, sent it back up into the air, and that's what's causing global warming. Uh, what's positive about that story, right, is that, is that the whole problem we're facing with global warming comes from the equivalent of one day of sunlight. So if we can just figure out how to collect the amazing amount of energy we have on this planet slightly more efficiently, we can do it without pollution um, and, and live a lot cleaner lives.
0: I have to get some clarification on that. Sure. So, all of this—the hundred millions of carbons that are stored beneath the Earth—and yeah. um, are only is five days of sunlight. Yeah. The total growth.
1: The total energy content of all fossil fuels that we could ever harvest is five full days of sunlight on the planet.
0: But that it, it—it was a lot more. We just can't harvest it. Is yeah. That what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been recycled
1: and reused. And I mean, it's in, it's in, you know, that's the stuff that's just circulating around us, the energy that's moved us and things like that. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay, cool. Got it. So this, this question of, of like, even that, like a day of sunlight driven growth has thrown the atmosphere out, out of balance. Like we can't keep up the trees can't clean it fast enough. Yeah. And you want to, I was talking to someone earlier this year that basically said, you know, you, you know, just stopping any more extraction. Yes. Because, you know, eventually that's going to get burned, just like putting a moratorium on yes. that. Yes. And even even if you did that, there was almost so much already so much that had been pulled out um, that, you know, it would be disastrous if we burned what we have. But at the very least, stop pulling any more out.
1: Yes, that's right. So um, the, the, the way we, the technical term we use in climate change is that um, to stop at doubled CO2, which is already now considered to be too high and we're getting very close to that number. You would have to not use 80 percent of proven reserves of fossil fuels. So that is to say there's a bunch of oil and coal and natural gas and other stuff that is on the books of existing fossil fuel companies and different nations, parastatal organizations and nations. And we can't use 80 percent of it if we want to stop global warming effectively. And that's one of the deeper political challenges is that you're basically saying to those folks, take it off your books, you're not going to be able to dig it out.
0: So now we're going back to human behavior. Yeah. so if i'm in charge of one of those companies i don't think i'm an evil dude or yeah. whatever i think i'm powering the world yeah. expansion and feeding people and enabling yeah. mobility that's beyond our ancestors wildest dreams yeah so and they're being rewarded by their shareholders and by their fancy house in the gated community and their wife or husband and you know so there's all this behavioral stuff that legislatively if you said no just stop or morally just stop there are all of these counterfeeling forces to making that shift uh, syst- uh systemically institutionally in in those organizations that all comes down again to human behavior so how do you how would you make them whole how would you make it a better decision for them to say yeah we're going to leave it in the ground
1: yeah yeah, well, I mean, I don't really think they have an entitlement to, to destroy the planet forever, I guess. I mean, what I'd say is, you know, any business, as you as you know, really doesn't operate with more than a five year horizon. We wish they did. Right. But they're, you know, in many cases, these people are making quarterly decisions. Even Right. They have mm-hmm. huge capital endowments. They have a huge advantage in the market. Um, and they could use their power, their understanding of the energy system to transition to cleaner energy and to get off fossil fuels fairly quickly. The odds are, honestly, that 80% of them won't because they are, like many business people, actually not that creative and actually pretty selfish. Uh, And, you know, the other thing you're forgetting is that beyond what's on their books, you know, we have a whole massive geopolitical system built around this stuff, right? The United States has spent $6 trillion on wars in the Middle East since 9-11. And that's all about oil, obviously, right? So there's a huge, um, a a lot of inertia, a lot of embedded interest structures around it. Um, And there's a a fight ahead of us. But the reality is, it's not very hard for any of them to actually make a decent transition. Uh, They just don't, they just consider it risky and too hard. And that's too bad for them. They're going to go out of business.
0: Yeah, well, you're so I want to take it down to a non daunting reality. I was talking with someone on a more philosophical and religious basis. Well, let me say, Christine, I don't think how evolution happens. Yeah. And that evolution isn't like some mass, mass process that's coordinated. It's the micro decisions of every small creature moving a little to the left or eating an orange on, you know, on a soccer field or like it's the (laughs) tiniest things that we're doing every day that are evolving life on earth. And that's how I feel like by being even a tiny business who's saying I can do this. Yeah. I'm going to make this choice that at least I'm evolving evolving in the space that I can and trying and and then telling everybody about it so that you know it's not just what I would call what people say is virtue signaling it's values broadcasting oh yeah this is what I value and this is what we're going to do about it can you do something about it too and in that way we might evolve it and it might not be so daunting
1: yeah well and that's that's what's fun about Cooler and 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 our and our partnership is that you know, it's, it's, it is both signaling, but it's actually real action at the level that you can that you can take it. It's um, the you know, we started cooler. One of the impulses was, look, Americans, people in the world generally, ideally change the world in two ways. They vote and they shop. And even if we vote aggressively to fix climate change because of all the interest, interest structures we just talked about, it's going to take a long time. Before the government, even if it was being run by AOC, right, could figure out a way to stop the fossil people from from taking from continuing their behavior. So the other way is in the like you said, the micro behaviors. And Cooler enables companies like yours and consumers who shop with you to basically put the screws to polluters um, in the at daily activities that they engage in in shopping. So when somebody buys from you now, right, a portion, a pretty small portion, but a, enough to make a difference goes to buying permits away from polluters right there are legislative environments regulatory environments where polluters now have to buy permits to emit greenhouse gases and your consumers and other consumers who are shopping with cooler companies are saying you know what we don't really want this the power underneath our products to be dirty anymore so we're going to take a little bit of what we're spending on our products and spend it to put you guys out of business to make you guys make the transition to solar energy and to subsidize energy efficiency so and uh, so we're trying to basically wire those micro actions into the economy uh so that people don't just vote but they actually get to in their daily micro actions say i'm taking a stand i'm making a difference i'm fighting this stuff
0: the idea that you put that so concisely um vote and shop are your two biggest levers yeah and uh so shop less shop long-term higher quality stuff that lasts and then shop for thing with things that are indicative of these values like carbon neutrality sustainability cruelty free whatever happens to align with your values but but um, so how? In in addition to what like you're doing this with us, but you're also doing it with a bunch of other organizations like mag- magazine. You know, tell us a little bit more about where you're at and what the rollout's been like. And
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, we are. Um, we've launched it functionally in early June, um, uh, formally, and we are. Um, we have about fifteen companies right now. We're doing really well in the segment of. Um, sort of folks who are looking for health and, and, uh, and safety and outdoor experience. So a lot of small travel companies are starting to join us, as well as bicycle companies. Um, we were also blessed to have a family of lifestyle and, and health magazines, Yoga Journal, Climbing, Clean Eating, Backpacker, and others join us. They've become among the first carbon-neutral magazines in the, in the country, and we're starting to talk to the people who are they, joining us in pulling their advertisers and the companies that sell products through them into the relationship as well. Um, And, and, you know, when you, you know, the, it is better if people can shop with higher quality products um, and things that that last longer. Uh, But the reality is not every business, right? Even those who are making really great products can find clean energy and can find um, carbon neutral supply chains. Um, So what's nice again about the way cooler works is that the money we, That 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 our companies are contributing to fight global warming goes directly to pressuring the supply chains to being greener, Um, and that's been an exciting uh, you know exciting piece for a lot of our our customers as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, how far back transparency in the supply chain and how they behave has been you know part of the challenges of building a company. I can see, I can choose an organic manufacturer that's nested in a town that um, you know has doesn't have a clean power initiative. Um, I can right. choose. So there's all of these trade-offs. So I really, I really love where you're going with that. Yeah. Um. So, so if this is how, how, m- let me just, I'm going to take a, take a pause. because I'm not sure, sure how to say this question. Sure. It's, it's along the lines of what is the potential impact of this and over what time horizon? Yeah. So let me ask it that way. So let's assume that you're super successful and that this is a, accepted nationwide in the US. Yeah. Let's just stick with North America for now. Um, what's the potential impact of this activity and over what time horizon does it have results?
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, so first of all, it has results immediately because as soon as you somebody buys something from a cooler company, we retire a pollution permit that would otherwise be used by a big power plant or a polluter somewhere else in the world. Um, but not only do we get CO2 out of the air, we get more clean energy, we help accelerate the system. Actually, there was just a recent study by the Congressional Research Service, actually, that showed that every dollar that people spend to pull that greenhouse gas out of the air also adds $1.50 in public health benefits. Because guess what? When you're shutting down smokestacks, you're not just uh, stopping CO2, you're stopping soot and particulate matter and, and acid rain and all kinds of other things. So we've been delighted kind of at the multiplier effects that we're already seeing. And the employment effects are huge because it's generating clean energy jobs and things like that. I think your, you know, your question, right, is about, um, actually, remind me again, your, your core question was a good one that I want to be sure I get directly at. Can you remind me? Yeah,
0: it's the, it's, the, it's how much impact can it have right. potentially yeah, yeah. and over what time horizon? But I, oh. I would love, I love that, you know, one thing you have a really natural gift for is to uh, backtrack and like bring in the bigger picture. That's a mm. beautiful one. This is, we're not just talking about energy to make stuff and move stuff. We're talking about our very, how the, the, the how our very, beings process um, yeah. these, this particulate matter. So thank yeah. you for pulling that back in.
1: No, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so I, let me, let me I, 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 there is a good answer to that too. But so, you know, there's an immediate impact, as I, as I mentioned, there's an immediate impact both on removing CO2, but also these health benefits that are huge. But yeah, no, the, the reality is that in the United States alone, there's $15 trillion of consumer spending every year that cooler could be applied to. Um, If you take about the average, it's funny because the math actually pencils out almost perfectly, um, a serious fee on carbon, one that actually internalized the cost of greenhouse gas emissions would raise somewhere between $300 and $500 billion a year in revenue. And lots of economists have done analysis on that. Well, if you put the half percent that Cooler estimates a small, any business would normally have to contribute to neutralize their products, it comes out to about the same number. Um, if we don't take over the whole market, if we just hit a small fraction of what we think of as a sort of a $3 trillion health, beauty, travel, leisure kind of um, arena where a lot of our core consumers are going to be, um, we are effectively shutting down two of the major pollution markets in the United States. Now, whether regulators will let us do that, right, legally, we'll, we should be allowed to today. If we get to that scale, um, will they let us do that? I, I look forward to the story and the you know, in the New York Times and the and the Boston papers that, you know, consumers try to shut down the Northeast pollution market. Um, that'll be a fun day, right? Bloomberg could go out and spend $150 million right now and shut them down. But, you know, it would happen, right? There'd be a legislative backlash. But if 10 million consumers are the people making it make shutting down, putting the pressure on those polluters, I think we're looking at a different political ballgame also.
0: I love that. That's so much more exciting as a vision. You know, shut down the major pollution markets in the U.S. You as a consumer, what did you say with your vote and your shopping? Yeah. You can shut down major pollution markets and there's exactly. no way to wait.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited that we're doing this with you. And it is one small drop of water in the California fires, in the Australia fires. we got to do something. Why yeah. not begin here where we're at? Um. Can we talk a minute about climate change and uh, economics, individual economics, climate change in class, climate change and wealth? Yeah. And, um, and just talk about social rollout. Like how do you do climate when you're a refugee? How do you do climate when you're can 't yeah. feed your family when thirty percent of people are unemployed now or some ridiculous amount that's probably misrepresented in the stats yeah what do we how do we how do we prioritize this major thing when there's so many literal fires to be putting out
1: yeah absolutely well you know there's an you know an incredible you know I, I was blessed to be part of the early days of the climate justice movement which is a term that's sort of taken off globally now um, but the reality is that climate change is really nothing but a justice problem, right? If you think about it, it's a set of communities that overuse a resource and that impacted every the entire planet as a result. And as people in China or Bangladesh will tell you, also curtailed what looked to be a straightforward development path for a lot of developing nations who thought they would just go burn a lot of fossil fuels too and now and now they can't. So it, there is no separating what we've done to the planet, you know, biogeochemically from what we do to each other. Uh, from the kind of from the behaviors, the selfish ones, the, 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 the ones that are exclusionary, the ones that hurt other people. Um, they're very intimately connected. So if you're, you know, so in fact, c- communities of color in the United States, low-income communities, refugees, these are the folks who are most directly connected often to what's happening. They understand it viscerally. They understand it logically really well. And they have a huge amount to contribute. Um, you, you know, if you're trying to pass good carbon legislation in the state, you do so at your own peril if you ignore the communities that are most impacted, those fence line communities that are near the polluters that understand that stuff. Um, they they see through the idea that this is somehow an economic problem to solve global warming. Um, they, are, they are, you know, the fastest growing jobs in the United States by far are in the clean energy sector, um, and that sector, unfortunately, can, can have a huge amount of political power if it retools itself to employ everybody in the United States as opposed to kind of what it is right now, which remains somewhat as an exclusionary profession, it is growing really fast. It can't afford to stay that way. Um, Similarly, people have to make what's called a just transition, right? People working in the fossil fuel industry now make pretty decent wages. Um, That's got to be true in the renewable industry as well. Folks putting your solar panels up, folks making those things, assembling the parts, putting together our new energy system have to be paid a good wage as well. Um, By the way, some of the money that that comes from Cooler, that goes to Cooler um, does that also. We we calculated also that every $10,000 that Cooler collects generates about 1.25 job years of employment. So, um, you know, these are all benefits of people taking action and putting their money where they think they can make the biggest difference.
0: You said a lot in there. I like this line in particular that there's no separating what we do biogeochemically from what we do to each other. That's 100 yeah. percent true. Yeah. And this just transition concept. Yeah. And this is where the empathy comes in. And also what I was trying to get at a little bit when I was talking about that individual who's nested inside of a fossil fuel company. Yeah. You know, who's who's sort of wanting to make a transition, but they can't see a path.
1: Absolutely. Without a
0: tremendous personal cost.
1: Yes. So yeah.
0: I think that applies to every place where there's a huge change. That applies yeah. to policing and all of that stuff. Is like how do you make a change from within without leaving the without leaving the system? And um, that that's a that can be a difficult place to be as a human. I'm not saying they shouldn't or they shouldn't be brave and conscientious and start to be the light from you know right where they're at inside the organization. Definitely should, but that the skill set to do that is not often developed in humans.
1: No, I've 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 always been really reluctant to to paint people working in industries that I think aren't doing the right thing um, as they as if they were themselves evil. I mean, I think you know, and I think we people who are working on things like climate change or human rights or other activism really need to to tread with a lot of empathy, Um, not just because um, folks in those jobs are making the choices they need to make to support their families and livelihood, not just because the system has not given them other alternatives um because we've chosen system you know the folks with the capital and and the hands on the lever of power have chosen unhealthy systems but because we can't really build the coalitions we need to pull ourselves out of these unhealthy systems without their their participation like it's back to the story you started with you know you spend 15 percent of your margin being sustainable well that generates other kinds of jobs and 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 uh helping folks in the jobs, in the dirty industries, make those transitions, engage in what's called a just transition to a cleaner economy, the money's still going to be spent by everybody. It's just going to be spent in a healthier way. Um, And Mm. and so, and really being empathetic and listening to kind of where the suffering is going to be because of the transition will help us with Mm. the transition.
0: Yeah. Wow. You are very equanimous for an activist.
1: (laughs) I've been at it a while, Christine. <laughs> you asked me you someone, asked me, I remember
0: someone told me this like I think it was uh maybe it was Michael Beckwith I don't know He uh-huh. said uh, nobody ever changed f- nobody ever became a vegan by uh, from an angry from watching an angry ve- vegan uh, you had to like basically be the bliss and the joy of your healthy lifestyle and let that be an attractive force in some way yeah. but like an angry activist gets nothing done. Yeah, and burns themselves out. So yeah, but you and, you were gonna say something else.
1: Well, and fear is a, you know I mean I was blessed I sat I was blessed I don't know 15 years ago to sit in a room with I think Gandhi's last living disciple um, I'm forgetting his name right now but he it was actually just when when uh, Al Gore's movie came out uh, Inconvenient Truth and and he said look it seems like a really nice film but he said the problem with motivating people with fear is that the further, the more you solve that problem that's causing the fear, the further you are from the motivation. Um, if you can find motivations that are uplifting, um, that bring light, right, then the closer you get to the solution, the better people feel, the more they want to be there. Um, so we, we have to, you know, we, we have to design the ways we fix the world in ways that, you know, demonstrably just just fill your heart, the closer you get to them.
0: Oh, right. So I want to envision and be lifted up by beautiful, clean air. Yeah. No smoke, no fire. I want to be lifted up by easy to breathe air, by healthy trees and plants, by healthy food and healthy soil and happy whole people that are integrated with the earth that they live upon or with or are part of. Yes. And um, hold that vision when I'm making these decisions. And
1: less war and less Um, and less flooding and less suffering and less fires and more stability and absolutely closer communities. You know, one of the, just one of the images that's motivated me always, I grew up in New York city, you know, is just, you know, people spend so much time driving their kids and driving themselves to daycare, to school, to work. Why can't we have them close together so you can take a lunch break and go visit your kid when they're having lunch at school? You know, that's, that's the practical reality of a cleaner more sustainable world.
0: So we'll say uh, turning that into the motivation of upliftment is like a, a more, a better life that's designed at the human scale for us to live with more intimacy, connection and joy. Absolutely. So those are also outcomes. Absolutely. So um, everybody out there, look, you, you, Many of you are entrepreneurs in your own right. You run companies. Many of you work in small organizations or mid-sized organizations that can make a decision like this. Uh, cooler.dev is the URL you should go to. Um, I think all of these micro choices of us as citizen businesses can really add up to something big. And then from a shopping perspective, I think Michael's going to have a Cooler directory
1: Yes, let's absolutely. get that
0: expanded so that you can uh, look for the cooler logo, be cool, be cooler right. uh somewhere on the products that you're purchasing
1: yeah. indicating
0: that intent to stop uh carbon pollution, the to re, to, to rebalance um the carbon cycle. Yeah. Uh in in the on the planet. Is there anything you'd like to tell people to close?
1: Well, I mean, I I um I, First of all, thank you for having us, and thank you for being our partner. Um, and we're just thrilled to be kind of, you know, working with a company like yours that is just has a really unique vision for for feminine health, for well-being, um, and and uh, the the idea that we could connect as big a thing as you know trying to put smokestacks out of business. To as intimate a thing as what your products engage with and help with um, is just a blessing for us as well um, and we're, we're finding this in with some of our other customers as well we're we're making both natural and sometimes unintuitive connections with different companies uh, that are drawn to making this difference for the better and and we're thrilled to be working with you and 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 are looking forward to that day when everybody who shops with you can find a ton of other companies that are ma- trying to make that difference too.
0: Thank you. I, I just want to say there's no difference at all. It's not, it's, it's what is repressed and unintegrated. Mm. What we're not willing to look at um, comes back to kick us in the butt. Oh, it's yeah. also to meant am- always an immense opportunity. So the repression and the lack of integration of the feminine in our body, in our women's bodies mm. and the feminine principles in society, um, anything like anything that, is that we're doing here in the body is also reflective of what we're not willing to look at in the larger systems of our institutions and of earth Mm. and so i really feel like it's right in mission for us is like look at everything even the uncomfortable stuff and do what you can um, to bring it into wholeness and into the light so um they're tightly related even even if i have to make some kind of a metaphorical stretch no
1: no 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 i mean that's what i mean again it's a it's a connection that you're bringing that you're helping make clear and that's why we're so happy to have you as a partner is that you're just surfacing um, something we all feel, but you know, you're making it real in the work you do and in joining us.
0: Michael, thank you so much for everything that you've done for your career and how you hold yourself in the world. You're a real inspiration.
1: Oh, thank you, Christine.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com. Vegan, plant-based, pure, effective, all the good stuff. The guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world. So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent.